Ruth kind of cleaned herself up and got a little dressed up and went outside the city to the threshing floor where Boaz was winnowing barley. After a long evening of work and a hearty meal and a little bit of wine, Boaz fell asleep by a pile of grain, at which point in time Ruth uh, crept over to him and uncovered and laid at his feet. It was a rather interesting scene and it actually startled Boaz. If you remember around midnight he woke up and uh, you know as confusing as the scenario probably was Ruth decided that that would be a good time to essentially propose marriage to him. Uh, as, she, as she pleaded with him in verse 9 Boaz spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And as we had learned weeks past, Boaz is indeed one of the family redeemers. He's one of the men who could potentially secure Naomi's family land and, and care for Ruth and Naomi and even marry Ruth. But there's another potential redeemer. There's another family member who's actually nearer to Naomi and Ruth than Boaz. And so at that night at the threshing floor, Boaz assured Ruth that Redemption would happen for her and Naomi, but it may not be through him. Uh, in order to do this the right way, uh, he needed to speak with, he needed to meet with the other potential redeemer that was nearer than he. And so chapter three ended with Ruth returning to Naomi early that morning and Naomi assuring Ruth that if Boaz said he was gonna do it, he's gonna get on this, he'll settle the matter. And so that's kind of where we fall. We're going to read Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We'll pray and we'll dive into God's word. Let's do that. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it. In the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. This is God's word. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us this holy word that we've just read. And let it not be for mere head knowledge. For many Christians, many professing Christians have collected a great deal of biblical knowledge to absolutely no benefit of their souls. So save us from that today, Lord. Let this word change us today, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Well, after reading that, I think we can all uh, just have one big group exhale sigh of relief, right? I mean, after all the twists and turns in Ruth and Naomi's story, after the losses and the fears and the uncertainties, the worthy man Boaz has redeemed Ruth. He has redeemed Naomi. He's redeemed their land. He's redeemed their legacy. No longer would they be without provision or protection. No longer would they be nameless, marginalized, disenfranchised widows. They've been rescued. They've been restored. They've experienced, as the title of my sermon kind of gives way, they've experienced a thorough redemption in that there are no loose ends. There's nothing more that needs to be done. There's no limbo. There's no more negotiation between potential redeemers. The matter is settled. If you will, it is finished. Now, the beautiful thing about the finality of Ruth and Naomi's redemption is that it's a picture of the finality of our redemption for those who trust Christ. So I have three simple things that I'd like us to consider with regards to this passage. I'm not gonna give you all three uh, points up front. We're gonna take them one at a time. And then I'd like us to consider how they apply to God's redemption of us, his people, as well. The first thing I'd like to consider from today's passage is that Boaz does exactly as he promised. Boaz does exactly as he promised in securing redemption for Ruth and Naomi. See, the night before, while at the threshing floor, he told Ruth in chapter 3, verse 13, that he would pursue the other family redeemer. 
the other redeemer that was closer to Ruth and Naomi. He would pursue that redeemer and the issue of their redemption would be resolved. And he said, as the Lord lives, I will do this. And Boaz, you know, must have had a reputation. Not only was he a worthy man, yes, but he must have had a reputation for also being a man of his word because Naomi assures Ruth in verse 18 of chapter three that if Boaz said he was gonna do it, it's gonna get done and it's gonna be done immediately. Isn't that great? That Boaz does precisely as he promised to the very last letter, don't you just love dealing with people that are like that? That you can absolutely rely on, absolutely depend on to do exactly what they said they were going to do. See, my dad, he's not here this morning so I can use him. He's like that to me. He's, he, that's, my dad is that man for me, where not only does he show up when he says he's gonna show up, but he finishes the task that he said he was gonna finish. He's the kind of guy who does things the right way the very first time with no shortcuts. For him, everything is above board. Everything is in the light and in the open and according to code. We want to buy a house from Dave Lawson, right? It's above board, it's according to code. That's Boaz. We get the impression from the passage that it wasn't a moment after Ruth left the threshing floor that morning, that Boaz was headed to the city gate in verse one to sort out what he said he would sort out. And he was gonna do it according to custom, according to code, the right way. Now what the text doesn't offer us is how busy Boaz would have been that day or how many things needed to be attended to concerning his own affairs. I mean, his grain was in the middle of, he was in the middle of winnowing that and, 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 and the fields needed to be looked after and he has employees. The text doesn't tell us anything about how tempting it might've been for Boaz to shortcut or jerry-rig the process with a quick, cheap fix. Yeah, Ruth, let's just, let's just get married. Let's just keep this under wraps. I'll look after Ruth, I'll look after you and Naomi. That, that's kind of the way I address every house project that my wife tells me about, by the way. Like, how can I tape it, right? <laughs> All we see is that Boaz is diligent to do what he said he was gonna do the right way because of this. Only thorough planning and only thorough execution would result in a thorough redemption for Ruth and Naomi. And something as important as the redemption of a family's legacy or leveret marriage, needed to be, it needed to be done the right way. And in this time and culture, there were three steps, three boxes that needed to be checked off in cases of land redemption and leveret marriage, three boxes that needed to be checked in order to ensure that it was a complete and thorough transaction. Box number one was the venue. A transaction of this nature needed to take place at the city gate. Now the city gate was basically uh, the town hall and a city such as Bethlehem, big city, would have had two complete surrounding border walls, two layers. So kind of like a target, like a bullseye. And the city gate would have been at the main entrance of the city. And the city gate would have been between both of those walls. It was a place for business. 
and for court hearings and for civil disputes, which is why in verse one, Boaz goes to the city gate. Now box number two that needed to be checked off was that both parties needed to be present. If there was a deal that was gonna be made, especially one of this importance, they both needed to be there. So in the second half of verse one, the other family member, this other potential or nearer redeemer, as I'm going to kind of refer to him, he shows up at the gate. And kind of like a mob boss, Boaz says, hey, you sit here. <laughs> and he does. And he sits right down. So box three, that's box was one and two. Box three that needed to be checked off was simply that the transaction needed to be notarized. It needed to be witnessed by individuals of integrity. And so in verse 2, Boaz gathers 10 of Bethlehem's elders to notarize the deal. Now, more than likely, these elders were patriarchs of 10 well-known families in the region of Ephrathah and Bethlehem. They would have probably been older, influential, uh, reputable uh, men of seasoned wisdom, right? And they would have functioned kind of like a jury at the city gate. So what we're seeing here is within the first two verses, within the first two verses of chapter four, Boaz checks all of the boxes needed to ensure a complete transaction. He's gonna finish what he starts. He's gonna do exactly as he promised. Now, this isn't really the direction that I wanna go today, but it's worth mentioning quickly in light of this point. Uh, brothers and sisters, what about us? What about us who claim to be the people of God? If we were to ask our spouses or our children or our friends or our co-workers to describe us, I wonder if they would use the words reliable, dependable. What about this one? Punctual, thorough. As men and women of God, is not our word our bond? Lord willing, in a couple of weeks on New Year's Eve Sunday, I hope to preach on oath-taking, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus says about the things we say we will do but never do, which should prove to be interesting considering we're all going to be doing our New Year's resolutions that day. So, aside... Many of us should take note from Boaz, though. His yes means yes, and we have to assume his no meant no. And just as Boaz did exactly as he promised in the securing of redemption for Ruth and Naomi, church, God the Father, even more so, did exactly as he promised by securing redemption for his people. Immediately following Adam and Eve's rebellion in the Garden of Eden, right after mankind decides that we would make better gods than God. Just three chapters into the Bible, we see this disobedience, but then it's immediately met by God promising an offspring who would come to redeem, to set things straight, to rescue, to restore that which was lost. And from Genesis chapter 3, all the way through the rest of the Bible, that promise resurfaces multiple times in multiple literary genres through multiple author authors. <clears throat> and 
and it goes all the way through to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, when it opens with a genealogy beginning all the way back with Abraham and ending with the birth of the offspring, Jesus Christ. Because as was the case for Boaz, even more so for God before the foundations of the earth, only thorough planning and a thorough execution would result in a thorough redemption for his people. Our God did exactly as he promised to do and sent an offspring, his son, as a ransom for many. That was point number one. Boaz does exactly as he promised. The second thing to consider this morning is number two. Boaz protectively eliminates the prospect of the other nearer redeemer. I know that's wordy, so you can simplify that however you need to. Boaz protectively or lovingly eliminates the prospect of the other redeemer in the process of securing redemption for Ruth and Naomi. Leveret marriage and redemption of land was a serious business. There wasn't any room for inept or hesitant redeemers, no matter how close to the family they were. And so in verse 3, Boaz explains to this unnamed family member, we never really catch his name, He says, Naomi's selling the land that belonged to her husband Elimelech. And in verse 4, he asks the man if he's willing to redeem the land. We just read it. The man responds with a resounding, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for some land. I'm willing. He really wants this parcel of land. And it seems that he's able, uh, monetarily speaking, to secure it. However, in verse 5, Boaz reads to him the fine print. Uh, The land was not only attached to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, but also to Ruth's deceased husband, Malon. Which meant that, according to custom, acquiring the field that belonged to Malon would also mean acquiring the widow that belonged to Malon. But the custom continues... Acquiring Malon's widow would have meant that the firstborn son from this new union would have been named after Malon. And one more thing, the land that was being secured in this deal, when that heir was of appropriate age, named after Malon, the land would be returned to him to perpetuate Malon's name at the gate of his family and in the lineage of Israel. Now suddenly... You can almost hear the crickets. This nearer redeemer's interest drops like a bowling ball. Because to redeem a piece of land is fairly costly. But to redeem a person's life is infinitely costlier. In verse 6, I believe that the man's motives are exposed. He flat out states that if Malon's land comes with Malon's widow, he's flat out not interested. He says, I cannot redeem it, or here's his reason, I would lessen my own inheritance. And then he surrenders his right of redemption to Boaz in verses 7 and 8 by giving his sandal to Boaz, which was kind of a custom or it was a receipt of surrender. Now, the text doesn't give any underlying details concerning why the nearer Redeemer surrenders his right other than the fact that he didn't want his own inheritance to be diminished 
by someone else. That's all it gives us. Which means at the end of the day, what seemed to matter most to this potential redeemer was himself. His stuff. His name. His legacy. Now the irony of this man ditching Ruth in order to protect his legacy won't be fully appreciated until next week when we see the legacy this man might have had if he redeemed Ruth. And again, I'm not going to camp out on this today, but I, I want it's worth asking in light of this point, church, what about us, the people of God? Do we recoil from ministry opportunities that pose no benefit to ourselves? What if nobody recognizes our efforts? What if there's no payoff? As the people of God, do these things influence when and where and how and to whom we minister? It just goes to show precious few are willing to lay down even a portion of what's theirs for the sake of another. Especially to a Moabite woman with an elderly, cranky mother-in-law. The nearer redeemer in this story certainly was not willing. And I think that Boaz knew it all along. That no one, not even this potential redeemer, could possibly love and care for Ruth and Naomi like he did. And it was out of his love for Ruth and Naomi that Boaz, the proven and true redeemer, it was out of his love for them that he desired to expose the lesser redeemer, to expose the false redeemer who cared more about Ruth's land than her life. And church, just as Boaz protectively eliminated the prospect of this nearer redeemer, God the Son, even more so, desires to expose the false redeemers in our lives. And the fact is there are countless redeemers. Do you see the air quotes all around us that appear as though they can bring us true significance and security, that they can rescue and complete us and, and restore us. And these could be certain people, a certain job, a certain house or lifestyle. If we could only see that these are not true redeemers, but when we look at them as such, they become false redeemers and false gods and idols. And as Tim Keller puts it, idols are usually good things turned into ultimate things because we look to them to give us the significance and the security that can only come from God. If only the false redeemers that are vying for our worship and adoration all around us, if only they were able to cry out like the man in today's passage, I cannot redeem you. If only our bosses or our careers or our cars or our 401ks could cry out and say, I am not your redeemer. If that were the case, I think some of us might be more likely to hear the soft, patient voice of Jesus calling and saying, but I am. 
I am your redeemer. Christ, who looked upon your helpless state, who saw your rebellion and sin and the mess that you had made of your own life, no matter how pretty it looks like on the outside, and said to you, I have more for you than that. I created you for more than that. But instead of demanding that you rise up to me, he says, I came to you in this very Advent season that we celebrate. Christ, in whom all the fullness of God was absolutely pleased to dwell, according to Colossians 2. And through him, this Christ, by his death, making peace on the cross, reconciled us back to himself and then said with utter finality on the cross, just like this transaction in Ruth, it is finished. The countless nearer redeemers that are all around us, church, simply will never be able to redeem us like Christ. Let's think of that. Let's be aware of that as we go into the holiday season where so many of us are looking for hope that Christ is promising to give. When we finally understand that Christ wants to do more than redeem our land, that he wants to give us hope, actual hope and a new life. When we finally understand what he went through to secure that hope and new life for us, all other redeemers are exposed and eliminated in the process. They just can't hold a candle to the blazing glory that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only Christ can give us a thorough redemption. Lastly, quickly, point number three, the significance of the 10 reputable witnesses. The 10 elders, I don't know if if in your reading this, this was made obvious to you, but they play a significant role in this story. After all, they're watching this whole thing play out. They've seen and heard both parties. So certainly they're there to check box three. They're gonna notarize this transaction. That much is true. But it's also like, like a scene in almost every romantic 80s movie ever written when a young lady is eavesdropping on a conversation that two guys are having around the corner about her and throughout the conversation it becomes quickly apparent which one really cares for her and which one is the schmuck right we've seen that happen I can't even think of the exact movie because there are 25 of them It's kind of like that. The significance of the elders play a little bit of a role like that in the passage. See, not only do they witness the nearer redeemer's true colors as he balks and squirms and shuffles around at the idea of redeeming the widow Ruth, but they also get a chance to see Boaz's true colors, which have already preceded him, and that he's willing to sacrifice a large portion of his inheritance in order to secure Ruth and Naomi. And here's what's significant about the witnesses, as well as the bystanders that we read about that are also at the gate. Here's the thing, listen. If there was ever any doubt in anyone's mind in all of Bethlehem, any doubt whatsoever that Ruth had been secured redeemed by Boaz. These reputable witnesses 
could testify to the truth that they themselves witnessed and experienced that Ruth belongs to Boaz. There is no debate about it. If ever there was a change of heart for the the nearer family member, the redeemer who would have been, and he decides, oh, you know what? I actually, I think I want to reclaim Ruth for myself. These reputable witnesses could testify, no, Ruth belongs to Boaz. If Ruth herself ever questioned ever Boaz's love for her or his commitment to her, if she ever questioned her standing with him and with God's people, these reputable witnesses could stand up and scream from the rooftops of Bethlehem the truth they had experienced themselves. Ruth, you belong to Boaz. Signed, sealed, delivered. The deal is done. It is finished. Brothers and sisters, we are witnesses for one another. The body of Christ, the congregants here at Substance Church, the members of our community groups, we are all witnesses on behalf of one another's redemption. Reminding and testifying to one another that Tim Fry, you belong to Christ. When one of us is doubting our identity, Chad Miller, you belong to Christ. When one of us is searching for redemption elsewhere, Pastor Jeff, you belong to Christ, brother. When one of us is accused by the enemy, you're not loved, you're not accepted, you're not forgiven, you're not a new creation, Lauren Greenberg, you belong to Christ. For those of us here who have placed our trust in Jesus, right? And, and, and our trust is this. We believe that the perfect life he lived, he lived as our substitute. And the perfect death he died, he died as our substitute. And the resurrection he performed, he resurrected as our substitute. And now sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, he's seated and he's interceding for us at this very moment as our high priest and substitute combined. The book of Hebrews blows open that canister. So for those of us who believe that and demonstrate our belief by turning from our sin and turning toward his righteousness, that is the sandal. That is the notarized stamped that there has been a thorough redemption. And brothers and sisters, we are witnesses for one another. And so as the church of Substance Church Worcester and with our brothers and sisters in Ashland, can we do that for one another? Will we be Reputable witnesses. Just as Boaz included 10 reputable witnesses in his transaction at the gate, God, the Holy Spirit, have you sensed how the Trinity has been involved in this? The Father, Son, now God, the Holy Spirit, even more so, gives us witnesses to testify and to remind us that we have been purchased. We've been redeemed. We belong to him and it is finished.
there's nothing more to do, nothing more to earn. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this this testimony, this witness to the church of Corinth in his first letter in chapter 15 when he writes, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached when I was with you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, and that vain belief is, is, is not a complete belief. It's an intellectual head knowledge of Jesus. That's it. For I delivered to you, he writes, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So we see his promise. He, he did what he said he was going to do, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It was a thoroughly planned and executed redemption. And Paul is reminding them of it. He's a witness for them. And so next week is, well, verses 11 and 12 at the end of our passage. You know, the witnesses pronounce and, and pray a blessing over Boaz and over his union with Ruth. That, it, that it's a worthy union, that it bear fruit of offspring similar to Rachel and Leah who, who essentially birthed all of the patriarchs of the kingdom of Israel and, and Tamar and Judah, which was another leveret marriage situation. So next week, we're gonna kind of discover how that blessing, that prayer pans out, okay? But for now, be reminded, for those in Christ, you have been redeemed. It's done, it's finished. Let's pray and then we will uh, have a time of communion together. Father, um, I pray that that your name and the name of your son and the name of your spirit would be hallowed in our hearts as the, as Jesus taught us to pray, that we would regard you as, as worthy and holy with reverence and awe for what you have accomplished. You're a God who, who, who does what he says he's going to do and, and you follow it through to the very end. No jot or tittle, no iota missing from the execution of your plan. And now that Christ sits beside you, a completed work of redemption of your people, we wait for him now with eager longing for his return. And so until that time, Lord, let us rise up as witnesses to one another, we pray. In Jesus, amen.